The following message, entitled, Gathered Together, Part 1 of the series, Together, was given by Stephen L. Trogi on the 30th of September, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everyone. If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Today we're going to be starting a new, uh, a new four-part four series called Together. We're calling the series Together, and we just finished up our series on the book of Colossians, and so we're going to do a short series called Together, and in this series... We're going to look at what it means to be called together by God to be the people of God. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but as Christians, are, are we just like another social group who we get together, we drink our coffee, we talk about the Steelers, we talk about whether or not you got your buck? Uh, or is there something deeper and more profound that happens when we gather together? as Christians? Is there something more important that happens? And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. And when we join, if you, if you think about just even the way life works, when we join an important group or a group of people that have some importance, like I'm thinking about the army, for example, when you join a group like that, it influences and changes the way we act. So, for example, you join the army, your morning routine completely changes. They come in, they wake you up, you get up, you do grueling physical exercise. Every part of your day is structured. You know what's going to happen from beginning to end, at least in the beginning part of it. You learn to make your bed in a new way so you can bounce a quarter off of it or whatever it is they always show on movies about the army. You get screamed at by drill sergeants. And it changes the way you live your life. You say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and you're supposed to act in accordance with who you are. You're supposed, you're, you represent the United States of America, and as a soldier, you're supposed to represent the fact that you are a soldier of the United States. And the same, in some ways, is true for us as Christians, too, when we become new people in Christ and we're joined to the people of Christ. This should change the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we live and the way that we go about our day. It, in fact, being joined to the people of God as a Christian, it really changes our identity. And so in the next three weeks after this message, the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at how we should live in light of the fact that we are the people of God. But in, in this morning's message, we're just going to look at what does it even mean to be the people of God? What does, it, what does it even mean to be a Christian? What does it mean when we come together and gather together to sing and to hang out and to listen to preaching and to encourage one another in fellowship, what does it mean when that happens? What does it mean that we are the people of God? 
And before we can understand what it means to live like the people of God, we have to understand what it means that we are the people of God. And so that's what we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. So if you could turn with me there. Let's read this together, starting in verse 4. It says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. But you, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Lord, thank You for giving us Your Word. Thank You, Father. We believe every word in this book is from You and is intended for our good. And Lord, we know that this morning You want to speak to us through Your Word. So Lord, I pray that You would help us see more of You and see what an incredible thing it is to be the people of God. I pray that You would encourage us. Encourage the weary. Strengthen the weary. Lift up the downcast. Refresh the tired. Lord, we need You this morning. We just confess, I confess, we need You to meet us right now. Because Lord, apart from You, nothing good will happen. And so we're asking that You would meet us now as we listen to Your Word. Apply it to our lives, God. Thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. This passage that we just read... It uses a lot of vivid imagery about buildings and houses and being built together. And it begins in verse 4 by saying we're being built together. In verse 4 it says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, this is being written to Christians, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And when it says, as you come to Him, it's referring to Jesus. It's referring to as we come to Jesus. And so as Christians, first we come to Jesus 
for salvation. We come to Christ and we place all our faith in Him and we are saved. But also as Christians, we come to Jesus every day because we need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus. And so when it says, as you come to Him, it's talking about Jesus and it says that Jesus is the living stone that was rejected by men. Now this talk about stone and cornerstone and rejected by men, it can, it can be a little bit confusing if you're not familiar with what Peter was talking about. Um, when it calls Jesus the living stone, it's referring to a cornerstone. And the cornerstone was, a, was the foundational stone upon which a building was built. The cornerstone was the very foundation upon which uh, a large building would be built. And so you have a cornerstone, and it was the most significant stone. And so when Solomon built his temple, he laid a cornerstone, and the rest of the building was built around that cornerstone. And it says that Jesus was the cornerstone, the living stone that was rejected by men. And when Jesus came to earth and pe- performed his earthly ministry, he was rejected by many. He was rejected by the religious leaders of the day. He was rejected by the Pharisees and by the scribes. And what they didn't realize is that Jesus is the cornerstone of God's salvation plan. Jesus is the foundation of God's salvation plan. And without Jesus, there is no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no being made right with God. They didn't realize that Jesus was the cornerstone of how God would unfold His salvation plan to bring us together as His people. What they didn't realize was that in a sense, they didn't realize that God was building a new temple through Jesus Christ. They didn't realize that people would no longer, with the coming of Jesus, people no longer come to a building like the temple or the tabernacle to worship Jesus. Now we come to God and we worship God through Jesus. And so, (coughs) excuse me, and so Jesus, He is God's new temple. We come and we worship God through Jesus Christ, not in a temple or a tabernacle. And it says Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone, the foundation stone. But the religious leaders couldn't see that. And they rejected Jesus. They had Him crucified. They had Him killed. But Peter, Peter wants his readers, and he wants us to know that even though Jesus was rejected. Look at the words he uses to describe Jesus. A living stone who who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Why? Why is Jesus chosen and precious? Because he's the center of God's plan for salvation. So he was rejected by men, but they could not see that in God's sight, Jesus was chosen and precious. And those who reject Jesus are rejecting God's chosen and precious cornerstone and foundation. And you can't come to know God. You absolutely cannot know God unless you build your life on Jesus. 
It was God's foundation and God's salvation and God's cornerstone. And so in verse 5 it says, after talking about Jesus as the cornerstone, it says that we, like living spiritual stones, are being built together. Built together. That word together, we need to remember, we're being built together. That's the title of this series. Together. We are being built together into a spiritual house. Now this really is incredible. Think about this with me. In the Old Testament, God's presence always dwelled in a very specific location. And so in the Old Testament, when Moses built the tabernacle, Moses built the tabernacle and there was the holy place, the most holy place where one priest went once a year and that was where God's presence was. In the most holy place, in the tabernacle, which was the spiritual house for Israel. And it was the same with the temple. That was their spiritual house If you want to worship God, you go to the temple. But you don't go in to the most holy place. And if you were not a Jew, you certainly couldn't worship with the rest of God's people, the Jewish people. But now it says, I love this, it says that we, we, all of us together, are being built together as a spiritual house. God's presence, it's no longer restricted to a back room in the tabernacle or the temple, we are now being built together as God's spiritual house. And God's presence now dwells in us. Isn't that unbelievable? It's not in a temple anymore. God Himself, through Christ, dwells in us. And He builds us. When we become Christians, God builds us into Jesus. The cornerstone, the foundation stone. And the presence of God, it's no longer in a temple, it's in His people. And you and I are being built together to be a spiritual house for God, for the presence of God. So I I just want to get you thinking practically, does does this change the way you think about what happens when we gather together as Christians? Do you see how sacred it is when we come together as Christians, and we gather together, and we sing, and we encourage one another, and we fellowship with one another, and we praise God together. We're not just coming together to sing songs and just like listen to a sermon. We're the people of God, and God's presence dwells in our midst. And Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered, I will be there. Isn't that unbelievable? There's more than two here this morning. And God Himself is in our midst. And so when we gather together, it is a sacred thing. It's not something to be taken lightly. We are God's house and God dwells with us. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the only time we encounter God is when we come together. We encounter God all throughout the week, God Himself dwells in us. But there's, we don't want to miss the fact that we are being built together. God doesn't save us to be Lone Ranger Christians. He saves us to build us together into a spiritual house. And not only does it say are we being built together as God's people, it says that we are a holy priesthood. Look down at verse 
5 again. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was only the priests who offered the sacrifices. It was only the priests who took the lamb and sacrificed it to God. And yet here, it says that now through Jesus Christ, all of us are priests to God. If you are a Christian, you are a priest to the living God. I am a priest to the living God. Now, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that we offer sacrifices to God? It would be a little weird if I, while we're singing Open the Eyes of My Heart, if I bring a goat out on stage and cut its throat and offer a sacrifice to God. You probably wouldn't have a lot of repeat visitors if that was what we did. Well, there's a lot of different ways that we offer sacrifices to God. The, the primary way we offer sacrifices to God is we offer our lives up to God. Our entire life is supposed to be a sacrifice to God. And so the way we live and the way we act and the, all that we do is to be a sacrifice to God. And we also, throughout Scripture, it talks about offering sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And so if you have your Bible, look at Psalm 50, verse 14 through 15. It says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Offer to God a sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. And so, when we sing to God, when we sing songs of thanksgiving and praise to God, that's offering a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. When we thank God, when we offer thanks to God, when we say, God, thank You for saving me. Thank You for blessing me. Thank You for all the ways You've blessed me. That's a sacrifice to God. When you serve anyone, when you're serving in children's ministry or just throughout the week when you serve, that's offering a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. When you pray for a fellow brother or sister, that's that's what the Bible would call priestly ministry. You are a priest in the service of God. That's a wonderful privilege to have. When we listen to preaching and are affected by the Holy Spirit, that's a spiritual sacrifice. And so I want to ask you, I, and I ask myself this question, do you see yourself and all of your life as being a priest of the living God. Because in the Old Testament, it was a sacred privilege to be a priest. It was a privilege to offer sacrifices to God. And now, what the Bible says is that through Christ, all of us together, we are now priests in the service of the living God. And we offer sacrifices up to our God. So do you see your life as being a priest of the living God. And, you're all, and the sacrifices, the things that you do in the service of God as being acceptable. And it does it also, it gives me new appreciation and new eyes for what happens when we gather together on a Sunday morning, when I go to my care group. It's not just 
people gathering together to eat snacks or snack, I don't, depending on where you're from. I don't know why we cut the S off of snacks. It's snacks, not snack. Just I had to get that off my chest. Somehow we've made a singular into a plural without pluralizing it. Okay, now that the nerd is off my chest. When we come together, we're not just coming together to, to hang out, like just to watch a football game or you know, eat snacks. Or, it's not just like a social club. We are the people of the living God coming together to offer sacrifices to the living God, spiritual sacrifices to God. When we gather together, it's an incredibly holy, sacred event where we offer sacrifices to God. Now, of course, the same is true whenever you're by yourself and you're praying and you're thanking God. I don't want to miss that part, but so often we individualize our faith and we forget what it means to come together as God's people. And so when we come together, it is sacred in God's sight. We are the spiritual house of God. God is in our midst and we offer sacrifices to God. And so that gives me new appreciation for what happens on a Sunday or whenever I'm hanging out with somebody and doing a Bible study. That's sacrificing to the Lord. Now, I I need to tell you, there's a lot of times when, whether because it's a busy week or I'm tired, I just, I don't feel like going to care group. There's times when I don't feel like coming to church, which is pretty lousy because I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to love coming to church. This is supposed to be like Sunday for football players, except I'm not suiting up. I'm, I'm a pastor, but same thing, right? I mean, this is what I do. I'm a pastor. But there's just times when I'm tired and I would rather stay at home and wear sweatpants and lay on my couch and eat Oreos and watch a man versus wild marathon. Because it's just, there's times when you just don't feel like it. And when I, but you know what? Here's, what, here's what I am forgetting. When I'm thinking this way, I'm totally missing what happens when we come together. I'm completely forgetting what is really going on when we come together. When we come together as God's people, we're offering, offering sacrifices to the Holy One the one that the angels cover their eyes when they see Him and cry, holy, holy, holy. That's what I'm missing out on. I'm missing out on being, in a sense, in the house of God with God's people. Because we all are the house of God. And I'm missing out on being in the house of God with God's people. This is sacred, holy business we're talking about. And you know what encourages me is, it says that these sacrifices are acceptable. Look down to verse 5 again. It says they are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It really encourages me that my sacrifices, my serving, my worship are acceptable to God. And do you notice why? It's through Jesus Christ. It doesn't say because they're done with perfect motives. It doesn't say because they're done with sinless perfection. It says through Jesus Christ, all of my sacrifices, whether it's serving, worshiping, prayer, they're all acceptable to God through Christ. My worship doesn't have to be perfect, which is a really good thing because I, I get distracted really easily. So I'll be singing a song, I'll be into it, I'll be praising God, and then all of a sudden the thought will come into my mind like, 
I wonder if it was annoying for Samuel L. Jackson to have to wear that eye patch in the Avengers the whole time. And, I'm, and then I'm like, I'm mentally reviewing the movie. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I'm worshiping God. I'm supposed to be singing here. And so I try to get back in, or I'll be praying, and then I'll be like, man, that coffee I'm drinking right now is so good. I get distracted so easily, but it says our sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so whenever that happens, I can say, Lord, thank You that You don't accept my service because it's perfect. Thank You that You accept my service because Jesus Christ perfects it and it's covered in His blood. Isn't that encouraging to you? Doesn't that make that good news to know that your service to God doesn't have to be perfect? Because a lot of times it stinks, doesn't it? A lot of times mine stinks, but it's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so when I serve someone and I'm battling selfishness, there's many times when I'm battling selfishness, but you know what? My service is acceptable through Jesus Christ. I am a priest in the service of God. I'm covered in His blood and we offer sacrifices up through Christ. And to prove His point, Peter says in verse 6, look down at verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. In verse 6, what Peter's quoting is, he's quoting Isaiah 28.16. And throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah was often referred to as a rock or a stone. And so here, Peter quotes Isaiah to remind his readers that Jesus is that precious stone, that precious cornerstone. In the end of this verse it says, everyone or it says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And I love that. I love that verse. Anyone who builds their life upon Jesus, who puts all their trust in Jesus, who rests upon Jesus will not be put to shame. In other words, you can completely, 100% trust in Jesus to save you. And that is good news. When I was younger, I went through a period of, I think it was like two years, when I constantly doubted my salvation. And that, was a, that was a miserable time. That was really miserable. I remember laying awake in bed at night fearing that I was not saved. I remember, I must have said the sinner's prayer or whatever you call it a hundred different times just to make sure. And yet I still was fearful that I wasn't saved. And you know what rescued me and, and kept me from going insane? is verses like this where it says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Christ and builds his life on Christ will not be put to shame now or when he stands before God in judge, on the judgment day. And so if you were like, are like me and if you have ever struggled with the assurance of your salvation, this passage is meant to encourage you. If you struggle with your, the assurance of your salvation, the solution is not to try to do more things to prove that you're a Christian. 
The solution isn't try to, okay, if I pray more, then I'll be more assured I'm a Christian. Or if I serve more, then I'll be more assured that I'm a Christian. No, the solution is to cling to Jesus, the cornerstone, and build your life on Jesus because He's the only unshakable foundation. And if you do that, God promises you will not be put to shame. You don't have to fear standing before God on Judgment Day if you build on Jesus. And so if you struggle with assurance of your salvation, can I just challenge you and encourage you to go to this passage. And if you're trusting in any of your own good works, if you find yourself trusting in anything you do to get yourself to God, throw those aside. Stomp on them. Kick them. Light them on fire. We don't trust in any good works, only Christ the cornerstone. And you will not be put to shame on that final day when you stand before God. But, this is important, not everyone believes in Jesus. And I would imagine that in this room, there are some of you who you have not built your life upon Jesus. And Peter says in verses 7 and 8, he's talking about the religious leaders, he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whenever the Jewish leaders encountered Jesus, they were offended by Him. They rejected Him. They mocked Him. And eventually they had Him killed and crucified. They stumbled over Him in a sense. They did not believe that He was God's cornerstone. They did not believe that He was God's Savior. And see, it works like this. You, either, you, can, you have two options in life. You can either build your life upon Jesus, the unshakable cornerstone, or you can reject Him. You can't hang out in the middle. There's no middle part of that. You either completely trust in Jesus and submit to Jesus and build your life on Jesus, or you have to flat out reject Him. There's no middle ground with Jesus. And so, if you are trying to hang out in the middle and thinking, well, I, I don't know how I feel about Jesus. I'm, I don't really want to follow Him, but I kind of like hanging out with other people who follow Jesus. Or if just you find yourself in the middle, there is no middle. If you're in the middle, that means you've rejected Jesus. Because you must either build your life upon Jesus completely or reject Him completely. And so I want to challenge those of you who feel like you're in the middle. You need to build on Jesus. He's the only way to God. And if you're offended by Jesus, you need to know there is no other alternative. There is no other foundation. You can't try to build another foundation to get to God. Every other foundation is sinking sand. And you're going to find yourself in trouble when you stand before God. And Jesus is He's God's spiritual foundation, and so you either build on Him or something else. If you build on something else, you'll suffer consequences. And I don't say this just because I like telling people about hellfire and brimstone. And, no, it's real. If you reject Jesus, you'll suffer the consequences of your sin in hell for eternity. So I'm appealing to you. And through this passage, God is appealing to you 
Turn to Jesus. Submit your life to Jesus. Quit trying to run your own life and build your life on Jesus. Build your life on Him. Because if you don't build your life on Jesus, it's going to be a terrifying thing when either you die or when Jesus comes back. Because you'll be judged for your sins. But if you trust in Jesus, then you are a part of the people of God. Look at verse 9. I love verse 9. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we can be assured of a different outcome. Verse 9 says, You, this is now talking to Christians, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is, this is an incredible verse. And again, this ties back into the Old Testament. It says first that Christians are a chosen race. What that means, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were God's chosen people. He chose to uniquely reveal Himself to Israel, to the people of Israel. And in turn, Israel was supposed to show the world what God was really like. They were supposed to show the world what, it, what was it like when God was your God, when the true God was your God. They were supposed to show the world that the true character of the living God. And God had chosen Israel to be a holy nation, a people who were different from the rest of the world, a people who were set apart, and they were God's possession. God called them a people for His own possession. He owned them. But Israel failed. Israel failed to obey God and to be the holy people that God called them to be. And so they worshipped false gods and they abandoned the true God. And Israelite men married foreign women and then that brought idolatry into the people of Israel. And so the story of the Old Testament, as you see it again and again, Israel failing and being driven out of the land. But God, I love this, because God is faithful. And he doesn't give up on his salvation plan. As you read the story of the Bible, it seems like there could have been like 4,000 different parts where God could have just said, you know what, forget this whole salvation thing. This isn't working out very well. But the story of the Bible is God being faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And so he's now, through Jesus Christ, creating a new people for himself. And it's not just composed of Israelites. It's made up of people from every nation, tribe, every tongue. It's made up of people from all over the world. All who have placed their trust in Christ are the people of God. You are the people of God. I am the people of God. Isn't that amazing? We are the people of God. It's not just Israel anymore. It's all who trust in Christ. And God says that we, look at the word He uses to describe. We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. What that means is that God has set us apart for Himself. And we are to be set apart from the rest of the world. This means we cannot live like the rest of the world. We are to be a holy nation set apart and we can't be like the rest of the world. Why? Because we belong to the living God. We belong to the holy living God. We are a people and He owns us. And so we are set apart. We must be holy Because we belong to God. We're sacred to God. 
or a people for his own possession. And so when you're tempted to sin, remember, wait a second. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm a part of the people of God. I can't give in to this sin. I'm a part of God's holy people. I can't do this. I just want to... Ask, let's ask ourselves now, is there any part of our lives where we're not living in accordance with that truth that we are a holy nation? Is there any part of your life where you're not living in accordance with that fact that you are part of the people of God? Whether that's in purity or anger or alcohol or any number of things. Is there any area of your life where you're not living like one set apart. That doesn't mean we're not going to sin. I'm not saying that means we're going to be perfect in any way. But this should be shaping the way we think about holiness. We don't just do holiness because we like to think we're better than the rest of the world. No, God has called us to Himself, and we're supposed to be a holy people. We are the people of God. And I want you to just look around for a second. Just look around the church for a second. You see all your fellow Christians? They are precious to God. All the people who have trusted in Christ that you see, they are precious to God. And so this should dramatically affect the way that we relate to one another as Christians. We can't mistreat one another. We can't slander one another. We can't be... We can't allow offenses to fester in our hearts against one another. We can't allow division to separate because that's not appropriate because we are joined together. We're being built together as the people of God. And so all of us together, we need to strive to maintain that unity. God is bringing us together. And so when you relate to your fellow Christians, do you see them? Do you see your fellow Christians as someone who belongs to God? It kind of changes your perspective on how you see people sometimes, doesn't it? Wait a second. I can't talk about this person behind their back. Why? They belong to God. And I belong to God. And we're part of God's people together. This should change the way we think about people, treat people, speak to people. There's no place for rivalry or deceit or maliciousness or slander. We're the members of God's temple together. We're fellow. You and I, we are fellow priests of God. And so that should affect the way we relate to one another. And one thing I love about this church, and it's cool when we get to do uh, just interviews with new people coming into the church, all of them say, almost everyone says, what a wonderful, friendly, welcoming church this is. I love that. And can I just encourage you that that's God at work in you and keep doing that. Because that's how we represent God. We represent, we're God's people. And we represent Him by the way we interact with one another. And this verse also tells us why God called us as His people. Look down again at verse 9. It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God has called us together as His people so that we can, this is our mission, this is why God called us, this is why God has made us His people, so that we can proclaim His excellencies to the world. 
That's why we're called together as God people. That we can tell the world through how we live, through what we say, through the things we do, that God who brought us out of darkness and into light, that He is incredible and a wonderful God, that we can tell the world how just incredibly excellent and wonderful our God is. And every day, we're surrounded by many, many people who are still in darkness and who do not know the living God. And our calling as God's people is to proclaim the excellencies of God wherever we are. Wherever we are. So wherever you are in your, in your life, whether you're a student, a, whether in the workplace, at school with friends, with your kids, wherever, our calling is to proclaim the excellencies of God. And so, I just want you to think about who are the people in your life right now? Who are you surrounded by most? Do our lives reflect the fact that we've been called out of darkness and joined to God. Think, just think right now, what is one way this week that I can proclaim the excellencies of God to co-workers, fellow students, my children, my friends? How can we, as the people of God, and how can you individually, how can we proclaim the excellencies of God to those around us? By what we say, by what we do, by how we act. That's what we're called to do. And if you find that your love for God is growing dull, which happens, it happens to me at times, reflect on this passage. Reflect on what this passage says about you. Once we lived in darkness and were slaves of Satan, but God has called us out of darkness and into, I love the little adjective that's before the word light. God didn't just call us into His light. God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And I love hearing the stories of people telling about how God has called them out of darkness into light. And I'd encourage you to think back on your own story. What was it like when you were living in darkness? And do you remember when God called you into His marvelous light? And let that just fill you with love and thanksgiving for God. And for those of you who you still have not submitted your life to Jesus, you may not know this, but you're living in darkness. And I just want to appeal to you. Stop living in darkness. You're a, the Bible says you're a slave to sin and Satan. And you may not know that, but that's the truth. And until you submit your life to Jesus, you will live in darkness. But today, Jesus invites you and welcomes you to come into His glorious light. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I give my life to You. You rule my life. Please forgive me of my sins. And He'll do that. He'll bring you into His marvelous light. He invites you. Don't wait any longer. If you have questions about this, I'd love to talk to you about it. And then finally in verse 10, it's just a, Peter just sums everything up. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We weren't God's people before. We were separated from God. We were enemies of God. We were separated from one another and enemies of one another. But God has brought us together. I mean, 
how could God bring together, if you look throughout this room, how could God bring together such a crazy group of people? I mean, there's people, I love it, because there's people from, with every type of personality and in all different places of life, and yet God has brought us together as his people. And he's joined us together. Only God could bring so many people together. And as a church, we should be the most welcoming church in the world for all kinds of different people. From the businessman with the suit and tie to the punk rocker with the piercings to the alcoholic whose life is a mess to the workaholic who seems like he has everything together. We want them to feel welcome so that they can meet the living God and have their sins forgiven and be joined to the people of God. And we've received mercy. That's what I want us to go out on. Once we had not received mercy, now we've received mercy. Aren't you grateful that you've received mercy? Let that fill you. Let's just let that fill us with thanks this week. When we're tempted to grumble and complain, let's just say, Lord, thank you for your mercy you've shown on me. I don't deserve mercy, God. Thank you for showing me mercy. Thank you for building me into your people and thank you for making me a priest in your service. Thank you for calling me to be a part of your people. Thank you for showing me mercy. Let's pray and let's have the band come on up. Let's thank God for the mercy that we've received. I think there's some of you here who, as I'm talking about being in darkness, you know you're in darkness. You just know it by the way your life is going. And I I just think God wants to say to you that He wants to give you light. And He's speaking to you, and He's reminding you and telling you that you don't have to live in darkness. And He's offering you light and salvation and forgiveness. And so if that is you, please turn to the Lord today. And come talk to me afterwards. Lord, I I thank You for this passage, Lord. I thank You that You have made us Your people. I thank You, Lord, for giving us mercy. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have mercy. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for bringing us together as Your people. Lord, I pray that this week we would be filled with thanksgiving. Filled with joy. And help us this week to proclaim your excellencies to the world. To our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. Help us do that, Father. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.